you would bow with me in, in prayer before we uh, open God's word together. Lord, we thank you for this time that you've given us. We thank you for this place that you've provided that we can gather together uh, to open your word and to think about uh, who you are and what you've done and what you are doing. And uh, We just pray that you would lead us in this time as we confess each week without your spirit leading and guiding and teaching us. We are hopelessly lost, and so we pray that you would move freely in this place, that you would take your words, that you would apply them to our hearts, uh, that you would uh, show us, teach us uh, exactly what you want us to see, that we would be moved by your spirit moving in this place, uh, bearing witness to your eternal life-giving word, and we pray that we would just see you more clearly as a result of it. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I don't know how many of you remember, I think it was about a year and a half ago, I was looking for the date and I didn't find the exact, uh, that we sent the, the Mars rover to Mars, that was a big deal, that we sent this rocket all the way to Mars and we got these incredible pictures. I'm still totally fascinated by that. Every time I look at those pictures, it looks like the desert somewhere and these incredible pictures that, that this thing brought back. But when, when that happened, when we did that, uh, NASA came out with all these videos and they were explaining what they were doing and how they were doing it. And I just found it really fascinating. I remember watching one that was maybe no more than five minutes long, probably shorter than that. And it was showing kind of the technology and the science that went behind what they were doing. And they were talking about how to shoot this probe through the space of literally 35 million miles to get it on Mars. And they're talking about the calculations that goes into that, that with the planets orbiting and all that's going on, that basically it shoots off into space and then it glides for a long time. The rockets stop and this thing just hurls through space. And then as it gets closer at the very end, the rockets kind of kick back on and it brings it safely to its resting spot on Mars. And so what they were saying is these calculations are pretty important. If that launch, the degree in which they launched it in the exact, if it's off by one one thousandth of a degree, you would miss Mars by like a million miles, right? When you multiply it out over that far, it becomes pretty important. I remember watching that and thinking, I would hate to be the guy checking those numbers. Like, right? You're looking at that and double checking and triple checking, all the things that they were doing. But they did it and it worked perfectly and they got it there. But as I was thinking about that picture of how important those calculations are and how uh, exact and precise and the things that are there, that if you miss that one, all the other technology, all the other great things they were going to do wouldn't matter because it'd just go hurling out into space and it would never hit its targets. And so as we've been walking through this series, we've been talking about what we call the, the four G's, and it's just a simple way of looking at God in four different ways, attributes of who God is. And what I was thinking uh, in that analogy with what they were doing in space is that if we miss who God is in some of these key areas, it can kind of send us hurling off into uh, bad uh, theology, bad things, bad thinking about who God is. And it has all kinds of effects when we miss it. And so each week we've been talking about if we miss different aspects of who God is, it, it manifests itself in all different uh, anxiety and stress and negative emotions and all these things that go with it. And so we've been walking through and thinking about these different areas that God is of, of who he is. And we said that first week that God is great. And if we believe that God is great and that he is in sovereign and he is in control, then we don't have to be in control. And when we miss that, we try to control things that we can't control. And that leads to all sorts of problems. Or the next week we said that God is glorious. And as we think about that, God is glorious. We talked about how we don't have to fear others 
that when we're seeing that God is glorious, we don't have to fear others. Last week, we talked about how God is good and that if we see God is good, we don't have to look for fulfillment and other things. We can rest in that fulfillment that can only be found in God. And then today we're going to look at the fourth G that God is gracious. And really, I want to go back to that analogy of if we miss it just by a little that you would miss it by a whole lot as, as they shot that probe off. It's the same thing. If we miss that God is gracious, all these other things will start to miss. That we need to see clearly how gracious our God is to really understand his character. And it holds all these things together. And if we miss this, if we miss this one, it shoots us off into all kinds of problems. It shoots us off into religious type thinking. Right? Religious activity that doesn't actually connect us to the God of the universe, but it just gives us rules and a bunch of other things. If we miss that God is gracious or if we miss it, uh, it may shoot us off to the other way of shame and of guilt and of not measuring up and all the things and all the condemnation that comes with that. If we miss that God is gracious. And so if we miss that, uh, maybe we we fall into a more condescending behavior. We're doing it religion and religious activities, and maybe we see ourselves doing it better than other people are doing it. And so it gives us this uh, this type of attitude that we look down on others. And all those things are byproducts of missing that God is gracious. And so as we look at this last one this week, it's of the utmost importance that we see that we worship a God who is a gracious God. And so we're going to look at that idea and we're going to think about that this morning We're hopefully going to see how central it is to all that we believe. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to look at the parable of the prodigal son. I read that for us just a minute ago. It's found in Luke chapter 15. That's where we're going to be this morning if you want to follow along. Again, it's page 568. If you've got a Bible that looks like this one, uh, you can follow along with us there as we do. And as we look at this parable, it's important, as, as I say this each week, whenever we open the Bible, whenever we look at to kind of to put us in the proper context and what's going on. If you've been with us last month and going back to six weeks before, we actually spent time in the parables of Jesus. We were looking at all these different parables and we actually covered the ones that bracket the parable of the prodigal son. We looked at the first two at the beginning of chapter 15, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And then we looked at the one in chapter 16 of the dishonest manager. And we talked about those uh, on on a couple different weeks going back, but we skipped kind of the, the parable Uh, of the prodigal son that we're going to look at this morning. But when you look at all four of those parables, they all really go together. They're all addressing the same context that Jesus is talking into. And so it's important for us to at least think about those a little. And I'm not going to go back and recap all that happens in those other parables. But I do want you to look at the beginning of Luke chapter 15 and what Luke tells us is going on as this happens. That Jesus is speaking into, it gives us the direct context of what he's talking as he's telling this. And so in Luke 15 and verses 1 and 2, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and he eats with them. And we talked about this just maybe six weeks ago. That they were frustrated because this idea of eating with people said, I want to be in community and I want to be spending time with you and you're my friends and this is what it looks like. And so they were upset that Jesus was befriending all these people that they would see as the tax collectors and the sinners, the worst of the worst. How can he do that? And so that's what they're saying and that's what's going on and that's kind of the context. And so I want you to see this very clearly that when they say that, what they're saying, what they're articulating in their grumbling is some people are more deserving of Jesus's attention than others. 
That's what the religious leaders of the day were saying. That's what they were saying. That's what they were upset about. And so the picture that I want you to see is Jesus begins to tell these stories. As he tells these parables, and especially the prodigal son that we're going to look at this morning, the direct context is the people were not seeing that God is gracious. They were missing that God is gracious. And so Jesus begins to tell this story to correct their thinking on how they're missing who God is. And so he's going directly to that idea in this story of the prodigal son. And so this is the context that Jesus is speaking into. And all the mess, and you see the mess and what's going on, this looking down, this grumbling, and how can he be doing this? That's, that's a byproduct of missing that God is gracious. You see it right there just in the context of what's going on. And so Jesus begins to speak into that, and that's what we see here in the prodigal son. And so real simply, as we look at this, real straightforward on how we're going to do it this morning, as far as the way we're going to approach it, is just simply this. How do we miss that God is gracious and the problems it causes, right? Jesus is going to illustrate this very well in the story of the prodigal son. How do we miss that God is gracious and the problem it causes, but then how does God fix it? And how does he answer those problems, right? Jesus is going to tell us both in this story. The greatest teacher who ever was can tell a story like this in just a few short sentences and, and, and it'll illustrate all this perfectly. And so we're going to look at that idea of how we miss that God is gracious and then how God fixes it. And so let's just start with how we miss it and the problems it causes. I just read the story for you just a moment ago. Big picture. If you've grown up in church, you've probably heard prodigal son a lot of times. It's a very famous story. The younger son comes and says, give me my inheritance now. I want to go and live life. And so, Father, give me what is due to me, what will come to me when you die, but I want it now. And so he goes to his father and he asks for that. And he says, "Okay." he gives it to him and he goes off and he does it. He goes off and decides he's going to live life as he wants to. Now, when we read that with our modern eyes, we go, yeah, that's kind of arrogant of the son. But we go, yeah, that that sounds reasonable almost in our culture, as sad as that is. Dad, go ahead and give me some money now so I can go do my own thing. Well, in the culture that Jesus is speaking to, this is absolutely scandalous what he's saying. He's basically saying to his father, and if you've ever heard this story before, everybody always says this. And every commentator you read, they all say this because it's true. It's simply this. It's like the son saying to the father, I wish you were already dead. I wish you would hurry up and die so I can get my stuff that's coming to me and I can get on with my life. Now, the problem in that culture is your identity was so tied to your family, so tied, so much more than it is today. This was absolutely scandalous that he would say this. It's, I mean, it's pretty horrible when you put it in those terms. Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have what's coming to me. It's a pretty horrible thing to say, but that's essentially what he says. And that's the background that's here. And so basically he goes and the father says, OK, and he gives him his wealth, his his part of the inheritance, which most likely would have been in land and in livestock. That's how you had wealth in this time. But he went and he liquidates his assets. He gets rid of those things and then goes out and blows it all. Right. He spends every bit of it and quickly he sees the error of his ways because he's miserable. Uh, a famine comes, which we would say is kind of like a recession today. Suddenly jobs dry up. Things aren't going so well. He spent everything and he's in trouble. And so he ends up feeding pigs and he kind of comes to his senses and he realizes what he's done and how bad it is. And so look at what he says in verses 18, 19 and 20. This is the first way we're going to see how we miss it. And so look at what he says in verse 18, right? So he's gotten to this point where he's so hungry and he's hit rock bottom and he says, I will rise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Right. So he realizes he's blown it and he looks at it and he goes, I've sinned and I've made mistakes and I've blown through all that my father's given me. And I've made all these mistakes. He says, so I'm going to go back and I'm going to beg for forgiveness. And I'm going to ask that I just be one of your servants. Just allow me to be one of your servants and work for you. And so I want you to see the thought process that goes into that and how he's missing who uh, God is. Now, just if hopefully it's clear, but say it anyway, just to make sure that we're certain when Jesus is telling this story, the father is God. Right? The father is God and how we relate to him and how we see that. And so in the younger son, we're seeing his view of the way he sees God and what that looks like in his father. And so his thought process is if I go back, I know I've done all these things wrong and I don't really believe I can be forgiven, but maybe if I go back and I work really, really hard, he'll let me just be one of his servants, right? If I work really hard and I begin to do the best I can and I begin to seek that, then maybe even though I don't deserve to be forgiven, I can kind of earn my way back with my father. And I'm going to tell you, that's how so many people see religion. That's how so many people see Christianity today, that there's these scales. Here's my bad works. And my good works, and I've got to do some good works to even out my bad works. And if I do enough, then maybe God will forgive me. That's the way he's operating. It's the way he's operating is he says, I'll go back and I'll work as hard as I can. And maybe he'll forgive. Maybe he'll just let me be one of his servants. But what's underneath that is not only this idea that I can work my way back and I can try and maybe I will. But underneath it, I think as well as this picture of he knows what he's done. He knows how bad he's been. He knows how far he's fallen. He's known how he has spent his money and all the things he went after. And there's part of him that I think that you see in this story that says, I can't be forgiven for this. Not only do I not deserve to be, I can't be. So all I can hope for is that I can be a servant, that I can start to earn some things back. And so you see this picture of what it looks like when you're missing that God is gracious. We're operating here. The younger brother's operating out of the... uh, the idea that God is going to give him exactly what he deserves or his father's going to give him exactly what he deserves, that he doesn't deserve anything, that he doesn't deserve to be forgiven. Hopefully he'll just let me be a servant. He's not going to treat me as a son because I've blown that. And so maybe he'll allow me to be a servant. And so you see this picture of what it looks like when you start to live out of seeing God this way. He's not seeing God as gracious. He's not seeing him as he is. And so he starts to live out of this way of I can earn my way back, but God's probably not going to forgive me. And so oftentimes, I think even as a Christian, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, wherever you are in your faith kind of journey and the way you see that, we can fall into living that same way. And we start to live out of that exact same type of mindset that says that I don't know that God could forgive me. I've actually heard people say that to me a lot. Even in the last few years as I've been in this job as a pastor, I've heard people say, yeah, yeah, grace is a great idea, but you don't know what I've done. And they'll articulate it that way. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. And you say God is gracious, but you don't know what I've done. And that's what they're saying. I don't know that God could forgive me for the things I've done because I've done a lot of bad things or I've done a lot of dumb things. And so they start to live out of that way. Or you see people that that will say, "Uh, I've done a bunch of bad things, but now I'm trying my hardest. I'm involved in church. I'm going to a Bible study. 
I, I serve the community in this way, and I'm really hoping that God can, can see the way I've changed and the way I am. Because right? that's exactly what the son is saying. He says, I'm going to go and I'm going to show up and I'm going to ask to be a servant and I'm going to work and I'm going to try to show my father that I deserve forgiveness. And that is the way we miss that God is gracious. We begin to operate that way. And when we do, it causes all kinds of problems in our lives. There's a constant battle with shame and with guilt. Right? In your mind, if you're thinking that way, and you've got, I've got these good works over here, and here's my bad works, and they're way out of balance, and this is the way it is, it's a constant battle of I'm not worthy. I can never be called a son of God because I've got all this mess and I've only done this much. And so you constantly walk around going, I don't know. Right? It's a constant state of I'm not sure where I stand with God. And so many people, and maybe you sit here today and that's the way you see it. You go, you don't know what I've done and I've done so many bad things and that's the way it looks. And that's what happens when we begin to miss that God is gracious. And then oftentimes we then treat other people the same way. The way we see our Heavenly Father is in the way that we express it to others. And they say, well, I don't know if I can be free, and I don't know about you either. And we start to measure and we start to look at those things and it leads to all kinds of problems in our relationships as we begin to live that out. And so you get this picture here of what he is, is dealing with. The younger son says, I can't, I don't know that I can be forgiven. And if I go, then maybe I'll work as hard as I can and maybe God will, maybe the father will let me uh, be a servant. And so the first way you miss it is, is seeing that, uh, that God is going to give you exactly what you deserve. And if I have a lot of sin, then that means bad things. And I don't know that I can ever make that up. And we're missing when we see that, that God is gracious. And so the rest of the story goes on that the son says this. He works through this in his mind. He says, I don't know that he'll forgive me. I'm going to go back and beg that I can be a servant. And so he does that. He says he gets up and he goes and he heads home. And as he's walking up to the house, his father sees him out the window and he runs out and he greets him. And he loves him and he throws his arms around him and he starts to lavish gifts on him. And he says, come in and we're going to celebrate. Right? And as that's happening, and we'll come back to that in just a second, but as that's happening, the older brother, the second uh, main character in the story, the one who never left, who's always honored the father, who's always walked with him, who's always been there diligently doing his work, hears what's going on and he shows up and he asks the question, what's going on here? What's happening? They say, your brother is back and we're celebrating. And he gets upset. He gets furious. And so what you see is you see on the one end, the younger brother who's completely missing that God is gracious. And then all of a sudden we turn to the older brother and we see a whole different way that we miss that God is gracious. And look what he says in verse 28. So he hears all this that's going on and they say, your brother is back and we've killed this fattened calf. And now we're having a party. And then verse 28, it says, but he was angry and refused to go in. And so his father came out and he entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command yet now. But yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. With this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And so you see how he answers and the way he responds to what's going on. The father has been more than gracious with the younger son and he welcomes him back and he sees this and he doesn't like it. So that's not fair. That's not fair. Look at what I've done. You even see it in the language he uses. 
I have been with you. I have been working. You've never given me anything. You've never done any of this stuff. And he gets really upset and he gets really frustrated. And then he starts to talk poorly about his brother, right? The things that his brother does. It's interesting in the story. He says, my brother's gone off and he's blown all this stuff and he's blown it on prostitutes. Never in the story does it tell us that he did that. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But the brother is quick to point it out. And you even notice the language he uses. It's his brother, right? His brother who's come back and he says, this son of yours. And so you see in the way that he responds and what he says, and you start to see this picture. And so what you see clearly with the older brother is he misses the graciousness of God because he's missing that he too needs the grace of God. In his own self-righteousness, right? I am good with the father because of what I have done. That's what he's saying, right? I've never left. I've done my work. I've done what you've asked. I've always been here. I deserve everything that I'm getting. That's really what he's saying. That is a perfect definition of what it means to be self-righteous. I'm good with God because I'm a good person. That's essentially what he says. I'm good with you because I've never done anything wrong and I've stayed with you. And when we start to live out of that and we start to see that, we miss that we need grace. We think, just like the younger brother who's thinking he's going to get what he deserves, I don't deserve to be forgiven. The older brother thinks he's going to get what he deserves, which he thinks he deserves all that he gets. And it's the two ends of the spectrum. One is so clearly seeing his sin and saying, God can't forgive this. And on the other end of the spectrum, the guy has totally forgotten his sin and doesn't see that he has any. And so he misses that God is gracious because he doesn't realize that he needs the grace of the father. And so you say we start to see that in the picture that happens so often when we begin to live out of comparisons. Everything he says to the father when he's angry and he won't go in is comparing himself to his younger brother. Look what he has done and look what I have done. I deserve this. He doesn't. That's what he's saying. Why didn't you throw me a party? I've always been here. I've been doing these things. And so what he's missing, and I think this is the second way that we miss it, is we think we deserve God's grace and we fail to see that all that we have in our life is because of God's grace. Why did the other son not run out? Why does the other son have a job that keeps him, that he can uh, go to each day, that he's secure and all those things? Well, because his father gave him a job. Because his father's taken care of him and he's given him a place to live and he's walked with him all along the way. How often that we forget that any good that we do, any good that we do at all is by the grace of God. Right. All good comes from God. And we as sinful people, the only thing we ever do that points to the father is because of God's grace. And the older brother has completely forgotten this. And so he starts to compare and he starts to look down on other people. And he starts to say, well, look at what my brother has done. It doesn't compare to what I have done. And he's forgetting that all the good that he's ever done is by God's grace, by the Father's grace in his own life. And how quickly we can start to slide into that type of thinking. We can start to think things like, well, well, I'm saved by grace. I know I'm saved by grace. And maybe if you're a Christian, you're saying that I am saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, and what He's done for me. I can never measure up on my own. It's what God does for me. We say that all the time. Faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. It's all His doing. But then we start to get it into our minds that I'm a pretty good person, and look what I'm doing. I go, yes, God can reach anyone, and yes, God can save anyone, but He'd have to work a little harder to save that guy over there. 
Right? Those thoughts start to creep into our mind, but we're missing our own standing before God, which is totally and completely by grace and nothing else. And we miss it. And that's what the older brother's doing. And so we can miss the graciousness of God because of our own self-righteousness. Look at what I'm doing and look at how good I'm doing. And when that happens, it causes all kinds of problems. It causes exactly what you see here with the older brother and the younger brother. He's looking down on his younger brother. Look at what he's done. I would never be like that. It becomes this very judgmental spirit and heart of as you look at people and you go, can't believe that person would do that. When you are that person except for the grace of God. And how quickly we start to operate and think that way. Or what happens is it leads to bitterness in our life when hard times come. If we think we're getting what we deserve, I deserve all the good things God has given me because I'm a good person and I'm doing exactly what he's told me and I get it. And then hard times come, I shake my fist and say, why are you doing this to me, God? I was just getting what I deserve. And so what you see on both ends of the spectrum, whether it's the younger brother or the older brother, is they're both thinking they're going to get what they deserve. The younger brother thinks, I can't be forgiven because I've done all these horrible things. The older brother thinks that uh, God's, I'm going to get all these things and I deserve all these things because I'm a good person. But this is where we're missing that God is gracious. Do you know the definition of grace? It is undeserved merit. It's when God gives you things that you don't deserve. He deals with you graciously even though you don't deserve it. And so on both ends of the spectrum, they're missing that God is gracious. The older brother's missing it because he thinks he deserves all that he gets. And the younger brother's missing it because he thinks I'm, I'm getting what I deserve and God's just going to pay me back for my sin. And that's the way it looks on both ends. And in both sides, they're missing how big God's grace is and how much we need it and how it is involved in everything. You can't do anything good apart from God working in your life. Now, that can be a perplexing thing when you say that. We go, well, lots of non-believers do good things all the time. That's absolutely true. There's people who do great things for our society and our culture every day that don't acknowledge God at all. But the problem is the reason that they have gifts, abilities, anything to do anything good, the reason they have a conscience to want to do good is because of God. They are made in his image. And when they reject that, they're actually thumbing their nose at the creator God of the universe. And so it's not ultimately good. It's ultimately self-deceived, even though it may benefit other people. And so it's all good comes from God, and they're missing it on both ends. So how does God fix that? What does he tell us in this story that points to dealing with those issues on both ends of the spectrum? just want to show you real briefly a couple things, and we'll end with that. But look at verses 18 and 19 again. What does God do for us when we're missing that he's gracious? Look at verse 18 and 19. When the younger son comes to realize what he's done. Here he is feeding the pigs. He squandered everything. He thought what he was gonna, doing was going to make him happy and suddenly he realizes it doesn't. And look at what he says. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now, we just said he's missing that God is gracious. He's thinking he's not going to be forgiven for what he's done. And so he's missing that part. But God's grace is already working on the younger son. Oftentimes when we read the story of the prodigal son, we see God's grace lavished on him when he returns. And that's absolutely true. 
he walks up and the father sees him and he runs out and he throws his arms around him and he welcomes him in. But God's grace is working in the younger son's life before he ever gets home. And the reason that God's grace is working on him before he ever gets home is that he realizes that he's a sinner. The fact that you have conviction of your sin, of sin in your life is God's grace. That he's allowing you to see that you've blown it. The fact that the younger son went out and sought after all these things and it ended with him in the pit of not knowing where to go and where to turn is God's grace. Do you see that? Not until you see that you are a sinner can you realize that you need a savior. And so God's grace is working even in the younger son before he ever gets home. When he's in the pit feeding the pigs. Because how did I end up like this? I have sinned against heaven and against my father. That's what he says. God's grace is at work right there. And so God convicts us, graciously convicts us of sin. But then look at the picture of what happens with the older brother. This story ends really with the older brother on the front porch. The father goes out and he says to the older brother in verse 30 uh, or 31, he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad that your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Right. And so that's where the story ends. And the story ends with the older brother on the front porch. And you don't know if he goes inside or not. But what I think you see so clearly, and this is such a, I just, I don't feel like I ever really saw this before. And I always feel really dumb when I see things, when I've read it like a thousand times and then you're like, oh, right. But the context here is the religious leaders looking down on everybody. Right? They're looking down on everybody else. I can't believe he's eating with those sinners. Right? That's what they say. I can't believe he's spending time with those people. And then Jesus tells this story, and the older brother is the religious leaders he's talking about. They're the older brothers. They're looking down on everybody, and they're judging everybody. And then Jesus tells this story in which the father says to them, you can come in. All that is mine is yours, and you're welcome. You ever see that? That the Pharisees are there and they're thumbing their noses at everybody. And Jesus tells this story and he's saying to the Pharisees, repent and believe and you can come in. Do you see that? How big God's graciousness is? It's not just when you walk away in obvious sin and you make mistakes. It's also when you think you've got it figured out. And on both ends of the spectrum, God says, you're welcome. Come in. All that I have, all that is mine is yours. Just come in. And I think, can you imagine Jesus standing there with the most self-righteous people that are looking down on everybody? And he's telling the story and going, you guys can come in too. I would love for you to come in. I've always missed that. Right? I, probably because a lot of times, probably the older brother. And I go, oh, that's not me. That's not that he says that. That God's grace is so big that he welcomes everybody. It doesn't matter where you've been here. You're all sinners and you all need me. And so he says, come in. And then look at what happens. I love 20 to 24 when you think about this picture. Whether you're the older brother, whether that resonates with you and you go, yeah, maybe I am kind of judgmental towards other people. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you sit here and you're the one that says, God can't, you don't know what I've done. God can't forgive what I've done. And then you read this story. And I want you to think of Sometimes we read a story and you forget. Jesus is the one telling the story. Right? The Son of God made flesh, walks down and he tells us this story. He says, this is what it looks like when you repent and you come to me. 
And so the son's walking up, right? And there he comes. And the son says he's, he was wanting to speak. And it says, and he arose and came out. And while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and he felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced and kissed him. He didn't even wait for him to get there. He went out and he grabbed him. He said, I've got you. You're mine. You think I can't forgive what you've done? I have got you. And the beautiful picture of the gospel is it's not dependent on you. It's not dependent on what you've done. It's dependent on what Jesus has done. Your part is to say, I have sinned. I can't do this. I need you. And God says, absolutely. I've got you. And he welcomes them in. Runs out and he meets them and he hugs them and he embraces them and he welcomes them in. And then this is the last part. I just God's great. I still cannot fathom this. I don't know that I ever will. He just puts all these things, these robes, this party. He makes much of them. Says we're going to celebrate. God did it all. You're going to stand before God and he's going to go, well done, good and faithful servant. And here you go. Here's your rewards for all that you've done. And you're going to be standing there going, but all that I've done is because of you. I don't get it. I really don't. I can't fathom that that's the case, that God is that gracious. Not only does he save us, he then comes and works in your life and he gives you the Holy Spirit and he begins to remake you and to redo you. And then he sends you out and he allows you to be part of his plan. And then in all of this is his doing through his spirit. And then he's going to reward you for what you've done with him working in you. What? Who does that? Our God does. Because he's gracious. He's gracious beyond anything that we can imagine. And so when we say he can't forgive that, or we say I don't need it, we're missing how big he is. And so often we miss that. So often we start to slide into thinking it's what I've done, or he can't get this. And God's going, yes, I can. Come to me and lay it down, and I forgive you by what Christ has done for you and nothing else. He gives you Jesus' work on his behalf. Right? He gives it to you. And then he makes much of you. You go, what? We worship a God that is so gracious. And we have to see that. We have to see that in all these things, in his greatness, in his goodness, that that's behind all of it. Wow. Your security is all because of what he's done for you. And so all the things that we start to struggle with, we need to come back to this over and over and over again. Go ahead and say it now while I'm thinking about it. We've been making these cards each week. This is the one for last week, and you may have gotten one on your way out. Next week, we'll have the one for this week. And then there's four of them that go together. And the reason I keep saying that and bringing that back is we all need to hear this over and over again. We need to speak the truth to each other. We need to remind one another of how gracious God is, of how good he is, how great he is, how glorious he is. That's just a tool to help you to do that. So that we see that more clearly and then we can speak the truth of that to one another. Because we need to hear that over and over and over again. That our God is so above and beyond anything that we can even imagine. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are gracious. We thank you that you came to us and then you tell us these stories. This is what you're like. That you love us even when we don't deserve to be loved. 
And you lavish your grace upon us even when we don't deserve it. And for that, we thank you. We thank you that you love us in ways that we cannot imagine. I pray right now for those that sit here today and are struggling with guilt and with shame and things in their past that they think that you can't take. I pray that your spirit would speak to their hearts this morning to show them that you've got them through what Christ has done for them and nothing else. That you wipe the slate clean, that you give us Jesus' work through faith. And we thank you for that. I pray for the times when we begin to slip into thinking that we don't need your grace, that we're just doing well, that you would remind us that all that we do is by your grace, that we would see that so clearly. We thank you, thank you. We pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.